This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. We want to continue uh, along the lines of uh, teaching how to be led by the Spirit of God this morning. And we are using several scriptures as uh, beginning points or text scriptures. One is uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So we're talking about the, the makeup of man. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, Paul says, By the Holy Ghost, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly or completely. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he tells us the makeup of man, spirit, soul, and body. Spirit, soul, and body. Man is a spirit. He has a soul and he lives in a body. Now, Romans chapter 8, verse 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Well, everybody wants to be led by the Spirit of God. Everybody that believes there is a Spirit of God. Everybody wants to be led by the Spirit of God. But how is that going to happen? Verse 16 tells us, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. Now, notice if man is three parts, spirit, soul, and body, and the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 14 and 16, that the Holy Ghost will lead us by bearing witness with our spirits. He doesn't say, and nowhere else in the Bible does it say that the Spirit of God will bear witness with our bodies. It never says in Scripture that the Holy Ghost will bear witness with our souls. It says that the Holy Ghost will bear witness with our spirits. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 27 is another golden text scripture that we've used. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. Now, they used candles in those days the way we'd use electric light bulbs or lamps or something like that to light a room. The spirit of, the, uh, the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. In other words, just as they used in their day candles or little oil lamps, literally, to, to guide their way in the dark or to turn the light on something that they could not see in the same way, Revelation and direction comes from God through our spirits. Again, not through our souls and not through our bodies. One of the things that's, uh, that's interesting to me is how many Christians pray uh, something along the lines of, well, God, if you want me to do this, then open this door. Or if you don't want me to do that, close that door. Well, that's looking for God to bear witness with your bodies through natural circumstances you don't hear too much about it nowadays but in times past people used to talk about putting out fleeces and you know people go back to Gideon in the old testament and say well Gideon put out a fleece and God led him yeah he was spiritually dead too these men in the old testament weren't born again there was no way for them to have guidance from their spirits because their spirits weren't alive unto God but that's not the case with you is it well where should we get direction from god through natural circumstances through the natural realm well the holy ghost says in the in the scripture it says the spirit of god bears witness with our spirits the spirit of man is the candle of the lord now turn with me over to um, uh, hebrews chapter 4 because it's pretty easy to distinguish between your body and your inward man paul talks about the spirit as being the heart he talks about him as being the inward man um, Peter calls him the hidden man of the heart. There are different terminologies and different phrases that are used relative to, to the, the spirit. But basically, we know the difference between the inward man and the outward man. 
much of the um, uh, much of the church world thinks that the soul and the spirit are the same. But if the soul and the spirit were the same, why did Paul identify both spirit, soul, and body? Why didn't he just say spirit and body or soul and body? Most of the church world takes those terms to be interchangeable terms. But Paul disproves that by the Holy Ghost, assuming he's the author of the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, he says, For the word of God is quick and powerful. Weymouth's translation says, Full of life and power. And is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Well, if the soul and the spirit were the same thing, you couldn't divide them, could you? So the soul and the spirit have to be different. They have to be separate. Well, what are they? If we can distinguish the difference between soul and spirit, we can get a mighty, mighty, mighty big head start on spiritual development and understanding how spiritual things operate. Turn with me over to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, I want you to notice that Paul is writing to the church, or I'm sorry, James is writing to the church. Let's start in uh, verse 21 is what I want to get to, but verse 18 is where I want to start. Paul says, uh, I'm sorry, James says, of his own will, talking about God, begat us with the word of truth. Now, the begat means to be born of. So he's talking about being born again. And we know in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, the Bible says, for if any man be in Christ, meaning born again, he's a new creature or a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things become new. We know that's not true of the outer man. When we get born again, we don't change eye color or hair color. Or if we don't have hair, get hair back. Or if we're old, become young again because we get born again. Wouldn't it be nice if some of those things happened? But that's not what changes. What changes? Things on the inside. The Bible says that God takes away the stony heart or the spiritually dead heart or spirit out of man and puts a new spirit inside of him. He's a new creation. He's not just a renovated old creation. He's a new creature, a new creation. So here where he's talking about of his own will, God of his own will uh, begat us or caused us to be born again by the word of truth. Same thing Peter is saying, 1 Peter 1.23. He said, we were born again not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible seed by the word of God. So he's got to be talking to Christians here, right? He's talking to people that have been born again by the word of God. So of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren. They wouldn't call sinners beloved brethren, would he? He's got to be talking to people that are saved. That's going to be important with something else he tells them in a couple of verses. He says, wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath. Most Christians I know of practice this verse backwards. They're quick to speak, quick to wrath, and slow to hear. But that's not the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath. I found that the less I say, the less I have to repent of. Sad but true. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. So he's talking to Christians. The context that I want you to get is that he's talking to believers, people that have been born again. And notice what he says to them in verse 21. Wherefore, let us lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. That's got to be one of the worst translations into the English language that there ever has been. Let's just summarize that by saying, let's put aside the things of the world and the things of the flesh. And receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. 
Now, one of the most interesting things to me, one of the most surprising things that I've found out about uh, spiritual growth and spiritual development is that the Christian soul is not automatically saved. Now, one of the problems we have in, in Christendom in the church world is that we use words, uh, words and phrases that are indistinct. We've got our own language. We've got our own lingo about the way we say things. And a lot of times the way the church says things is not the way the Bible says them. We talk about people coming to the altar and, and their souls being saved. If four people come to the altar, then we might describe it as saying four souls got saved last night. Well, according to James, they didn't. Now, what we mean is four people came and got born again. But we don't use that terminology very often. We say it our way instead of the way that the Bible says it. I've always been a stickler for saying things the way the Bible says it. I learned that from Brother Hagin. I'd hear other people talking about things and saying things all different kinds of ways, but Brother Hagin would always say it exactly the way the Word says. I learned to appreciate that. So James is saying by the Holy Ghost, here's the Holy Ghost impressing or inspiring James to write, to say and let them know that these Christians' souls were not saved. Their spirits have been recreated. Their spirits have been made new. But their souls aren't saved. Now he goes on to say in verse 21, or verse 22 rather, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. We've got a lot of self-deceived Christians. Because they're hearers of the word but not doers. And notice you can be a hearer and not a doer. There's a big difference between hearing the word and receiving or doing the Word of God. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Now, whatever somebody, you or me, or somebody else might think of why Jesus healed the sick, Matthew eight seventeen tells us why He healed everybody that was sick. Jesus healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. You're looking in the future for something to happen. You need to turn around and look behind you and what the Bible says has already happened. Because behind you is the cross, and on the cross Jesus shed his blood for your sins, for your peace, literally your financial well-being, and your sickness. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive. Just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to MikeWeb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Now, what is it about the soul that God seems to leave up to us to take care of? Why is it? that God leaves one of the, the, the three major parts, the three major makeup or parts of man that makes up man, leaves it up to us to do something about. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Paul says the same thing, but he uses different terminology. Paul says, beginning in verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Notice he's not commanding it. Notice he's not telling us do this or else. He's beseeching us by the mercies of God. Because God's been so good to us, here's what our responsibility should be. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. 
you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Most other translations translate that last phrase, reasonable service, as spiritual worship. Remember over in John chapter 4 where Jesus is talking to the woman at the well of Samaria and her question is, where do we worship God in this mountain or where the Jews say? And Jesus said, the hour has come and now is when they that worship God must worship him in spirit and truth. Well, a lot of times we talk about spiritual worship as singing and, and, and maybe ministering to God in other tongues. And that's a great thing to do. It brings great blessing to you. But that's not spiritual worship that Jesus is talking about. The spiritual worship that God expects and, and requires of us is to present our bodies a living sacrifice. Now, I don't know about you, but I found it a lot easier just to sing in tongues than it is to present my body a living sacrifice. And those, and charismatics particularly, would rather sing in tongues than put the work and the effort into presenting their bodies a living sacrifice. But you can't substitute that one for the other. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service or spiritual worship. And be not conformed. Notice in verse 2. And be not conformed to this world. Be not conformed to this world. Well, now, aren't these people born again? Haven't their spirits been made new? Yet he's telling Christians, people that are born again, new creatures in Christ Jesus, not to be conformed to the world. Which means we can be. Which means we can be. I would submit to you. That most Christians are, at least in my experience. But he said, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. This word transformed is literally to mean, literally means metamorphosized. The change that occurs when a caterpillar crawls into a cocoon and comes out a butterfly. That's what it's talking about. That's the kind of change or transformation he's referring to. That's the word picture that he uses from the Greek words that he chooses. He said, and be, but be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now notice something about this. He says man is three parts, spirit, soul, and body. He is a spirit, he has a soul, and he lives in a body. Two of the three parts of man are still left up to man to deal with. The body and the soul, or in this case he calls it the mind. For the sake of definition, and we'll prove it to you as we go, the soul is made up of the mind, the will, and the emotions. The mind, the will, and the emotions. So God leaves it up to you to do something about your body. He leaves it up to you to do, after you've been born again, after you've been made a new creature in Christ Jesus, old things have passed away and all things become new. He leaves it up to you to do something with your body. He leaves it up to you to do something with your mind. He leaves it up to you to do something with your will. And he leaves it up to you to do something with your emotions. Now, what does it mean to have your mind renewed? Notice he goes on to tell you what the benefit is. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds that you may prove. The word prove means to determine by experience. To determine by experience what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, folks, you know as well as I do, God doesn't have three wills. He doesn't have a good will and then one step up an acceptable will and one step up a perfect will. The will of God is good and acceptable and perfect. But you also know, as well as I do, that we've gone through life at different stages, different time periods in our life, kind of weaving in and out of the will of God. We might be walking in the will of God in, in, uh, in its full measure in one area of life, and in another area we're just kind of flirting around the edges. 
So it's obvious that God does have a permissive will. Anything outside of his perfect will, the main line, which is good, acceptable, and perfect, would be his permissive will. And he doesn't hold it against us. He may see that we're trying. There may just be things that we don't yet know. But disobedience based on ignorance is still disobedience. Failure to walk in the blessings of God because of, dis- because of ignorance is still failure to walk in the blessings of God. Doesn't mean we've got a wrong attitude. Doesn't mean we hate God. It just means we're not walking in his perfect will. Well, what makes the difference? What makes the difference? Now, notice nowhere in the Bible, never in the Bible can you find a place where God says, now you're going to have to work on your spirit. But you'll find a lot of places in the scripture where it says you've been made perfect or complete in him spiritually. That's got to be spiritual. It can't be any other thing. We're still subject to sin in the flesh and in the soul. So he's got to be talking about made perfect or made complete spiritually. Your spirits have been made perfect. So what would necessarily then be the key to spiritual development? The development of the soul. Specifically the renewing of the mind. Now you know as well as I do that we all struggle with temptation and sin. Can I ask you a question? I want you to just be real honest with yourself. I'm not asking for a show of hands for goodness sake. But I want you to be honest with yourself when I, and, and consider this when I ask you this question. How many of you have ever been forced to sin against your will? That doesn't happen, does it? I mean, if we're really honest about it, we've never committed any sin that we didn't choose to commit. So where's the struggle? Paul talks about his own struggle in Romans chapter 7. He talks about not being able to, at least in his opinion, it seemed to him that he was unable to control what his body wanted to do. He said, from the inside, I'm delighting in the law of God after the inward man. My spirit always wants to do the right thing, but I see another law working in my body, drawing me into sin, bringing me to the place where I'm doing things that I don't want to do and not doing things that I, the man on the inside, wants to do. He comes to the conclusion, I don't have any power over this. Oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from the body of this death? Well, his answer is Jesus. He found that the answer was in Jesus. He then tells us in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 that there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. But where is his struggle? Where is his struggle? Folks, the struggle is always for the will. It's always for the will. Always. Because no matter how much the devil tempts you, no matter how much your flesh may want to do the wrong thing or refuse to do the right thing, it still comes down to your will in every case. In the most extreme cases of addiction, it still comes down to the will. Nobody can force you to take something you don't want to take. And nobody can keep you from taking something you decide you're going to take. It all comes down to the will. So what does the devil do? The devil uses every tool in his, in his arsenal to influence our will. The struggle against sin, the struggle against the enemy, the struggle against wrong is a struggle for the will because the spirit doesn't have a vote. It, there's no decision-making or will-determining factor to the spirit. That's not the way God made us. The same thing's true of the body. The body can't decide. 
Now, both the spirit and the body can influence the soul. But it still comes down to the decision. The decision maker, the determining factor is the soul. That's where the will of man is. So all the time that Paul's spirit was trying to influence him to do the right thing in Romans chapter 7. Or as his experience is described in Romans chapter 7. His spirit's trying to influence him to do the right thing. But his body's trying to influence him to do the wrong thing. Where is it that Paul lacks strength in his soul? See, so much of the Christian world thinks that, oh, we need to pray for more spiritual strength. You couldn't handle any more spiritual strength. Because the Bible says you've got the fullness of Jesus on the inside of you. There isn't anything more. Well, then why don't we operate in that spiritual strength, Pastor Mike? Because of the soul. Because we haven't done the work of the soul that we need to. That's the thing that Paul made the difference in or uh, made a discovery. The discoveries that he made caused him to make the difference in his life that brought him out of defeat into victory. Because at the time Paul is writing this, explaining to us in Romans chapter 7, this was my struggle. He tells us this is what I discovered and this is what brought me into victory. He found out that the strength was already in the inside of him all the time. All he had to do was walk in the spirit. Now what does that mean? You know as well as I do, the Bible says both Old Testament and New Testament for we walk by faith and not by sight. Well, faith is of the heart, isn't it? Faith is a spiritual force. For with the heart man believes under righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made into salvation. Romans chapter 10 tells us. So faith is a spiritual force. It's a product of the heart or the spirit of man. So he says the scripture instructs us or encourages us to walk by faith. Walk from our spirits and not by sight. Now what does it mean by sight? In other words it's talking about. Don't be influenced by the things that you see. Don't be influenced by the natural circumstances. Don't be influenced by this natural realm. Now how does the devil try to influence us. Through circumstance. He brings situations to us. To affect our thoughts. Because he's trying to influence. Us. In how to determine our will. He can't do it for us. He can't decide for us. One of the uh, most. Uh, interesting things spiritually that I heard as uh, as a younger younger man while I was in Bible school. I was working with Brother Hagen, and um, uh, we uh, held a meeting. Brother Hagen held a meeting in South Bend, Indiana, in Lester Summerall's church. Lester Summerall had told the story, and I had heard him tell it when he was at Rama, um, some well maybe a year before, about how that in his ministry he went to the Philippines. I think it was in the fifties. Early 50s, he went to the Philippines. And um, um, he had been there for about two days. And all of a sudden, he picked up the morning newspaper or whatever it was and splashed on the headlines, front page news, was this demon-possessed woman. story about a demon-possessed woman that they had locked up in the jail in downtown Manila, the capital city of the Philippines. And he went, read the story about how this, this woman was, uh, was a marvel to everybody because she, would, she was able to um, perform supernatural feats of strength. Well, Lester was reading the story, and he just kind of said out loud to himself, why doesn't somebody cast the devil out of that woman? And the Lord said, that's what I brought you here for. He said, I didn't mean me. <laughs> so he had a little argument with the Lord, 
Lord said, I want you to go down to the jail and tell them you're there to see this woman. You're going to deliver her by the power of God and set her free. Well, they won't let me in to see her, he argued. Well, after five or ten minutes of arguing, he finally got all of his arguments rebuffed by the Lord. So he said, all right, Lord, I'll do it. So he goes down to the jail and says, I'm here to see so-and-so. Called her name from the newspaper article that he had read. They said, are you family member? He said, no, I'm here to set her free. And he laughed. He said, I'm here to see her. Well, you can't see her. All of a sudden, there was this blood-curdling scream from the back of the jailhouse. Everybody goes running. Lester just goes with them. <laughs> see what's going on. One, another one of these manifestations is taking place. And, uh, and Lester says, let me in there with her and I'll set her free. One of the guys with the keys said, she'll kill you just as sure as you're standing here. He said, she won't kill me. She won't lay a hand on me in the name of Jesus. And one of the other guys says, let him in. Let's see this. <laughs> so they opened the door and let him in, locked the door behind him, slammed it behind him quick as they could. He gets there and tells the woman, the Lord sent me here to set you free. She starts speaking out of the, you know, out of her innermost being there's this voice man's voice coming out talking about what he can't do and all this stuff long story short he set her free got her set be free by the power of god well this made big news i mean they'd just written the day before or that day a story in the newspaper about how she was uncontrollable and so forth the next day on the front page was a headline about lester summerall setting her free this young man named lester summerall came and said i've been sent by the Lord to set her free by the power of God. And he did. But the thing that was interesting, I had heard that story. I'd heard him tell it. He went into great detail about the story. And, and a lot of the, the things were just spectacular in the description that he gave of it. But he said that, um, uh, um, he, said that he asked her afterwards. He said after she was in her right mind. You know the Bible says about the guy that was out in the tombs of Gadara, the madman of Gadara. When he was in his right mind, after Jesus set him free, when he was in his right mind. Well, after she was in her right mind, he asked her some questions. He said, is there ever anything that the devil did? Now, she was possessed, taking over spirit, soul, and body. And he asked her, he said, is there anything that this thing tried to make you do that you wouldn't do? She said, oh, yeah, all the time. He said, so that it came down to you choosing or refusing to do what he told you to do. She said, oh, yeah. He couldn't make me do what I didn't want to do or what I was unwilling to do. Now, I don't know why she was willing to do some of the stuff she did. But the important thing is, even when she was possessed, the devil didn't have control of her will in totality. Well, if the devil can't control the will of somebody that he's possessed, why is it that we would think that he could control our will? Or that our will is out of reach of ourselves. Now I know some people say, oh, well, I just couldn't help myself. I know sometimes we feel that way, but that's never the truth. Never the truth. There's never been a thing, anything that you've done wrong or anything that you've ever done right that you haven't thought and decided to either do or not do. It comes down to the will of man. It comes down to the will of man. The Bible teaches that man is a spirit, he has a soul, and he lives in a body. The soul is made up of the mind, the will, and the emotions. As we control those emotions, 
and renew our mind to the Word of God, God is able to speak to us and use us. Thanks for watching today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. In other words, walking by the influence of the Word of God engrafted into your spirit through meditating, that means repeating the Word, will cause you to overcome the influence of your flesh to make wrong decisions and to exercise your will in the wrong way. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.